All right, how are we? Good, good. So glad you're here in Canton and in Jasper. We are in the 10th week of this series called These Three, preaching through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So if you have a Bible, open it up to 1st John. That's where we're going to be against towards the back of your Bible. If you get to the book of Revelation, you've gone too far, although John wrote that as well. So just take a left and you'll hit 1st John. And we're teaching through these books throughout the summer and going all the way through uh, Labor Day to really hit home the message of them. And I've told you several times that they are circular. John keeps hitting the same things over and over and over again, which is really helpful for us in an ADD world because we need to be told things over and over and over again. It's almost like God wrote this for the 21st century. And so I hope you've enjoyed this. We're going to pick right back up in chapter five today. Between this week and next week, we'll finish out chapter five, and then we'll go into second John and then third John. But before we do that, would you pray with me and ask God to bless our time together? Father, thank you for your word. As always, God, thank you for who you are and how you communicate to us about who you are through your word. And God, we know if your Holy Spirit doesn't open our eyes to see the truth in it, God, then we will never see it. And so God, we ask that you would do that now, that you would open our eyes to see the truth of it, God. And for those who don't know you, I pray that you would save them. And those who do, God, I pray that you would strengthen them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 6, work our way down to verse 15, and like I said, next week we'll wrap up chapter 5, which will be a great way to kind of kick off, you know, this whole first week of school that we got going on this week, and I think today's message will be helpful as well. Verse 6, it says this, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. Verse seven, for there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three, you also see where we got the title for this series as well, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is what? Greater. Let's try that again if you're new. Uh, I'd like for you to call and respond, both, both locations. Let's try that again. The testimony of God is what? greater for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. So John, again, one of the whole purposes in writing this letter to the churches that he was communicating to was the truth or the testimony of God about who Jesus is. Because there was a lot of controversy in his day, just like there is today about Jesus and who Jesus is and who Jesus was. And so there was this group of people called the Gnostics, which is based upon the Greek word no, and I talked about that several weeks ago in Test the Spirits, John chapter 4, that claimed they had this special knowledge, and they would deny certain parts of Jesus. And that's pretty typical, because people either deny Jesus' humanity, or they deny his divinity. Jesus wasn't 50% God and 50% man. He was 100% God and 100% man. He was God in the flesh. So hundred and a hundred, those two came together in the person of Christ. And so he was fully human and he was fully God. But there are people that minimize one of those two. And that was happening in John's day. And so one of the reasons why he's writing these letters is saying, listen, you're denying the testimony of God if you deny this. Why? Because the testimony of God or the witness of God is literally this word here. It's the Greek word martyr. We just brought it over into English, and now we know the word martyr means to witness to the point of death. But what's amazing is Jesus was the first martyr. 
He was the first witness. And Jesus showed that he witnessed to the point of his death. And that is what John is highlighting here when he says these three things. He says the water, the blood, and the spirit. Now let's talk about what those three mean. The first one is the one that has the most, um, I don't want to say controversy because that makes it sound like there's a controversy, but the most debate. People, theologians debate about what this word water means, and I'm going to give you the kind of the different positions on it and then show how I think it fits together. Some people think that when it says he comes by water, that's referring to Jesus's birth when Jesus was born. Because in John chapter three, again, the same writer of this letter, and when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, John records Jesus is saying that you must be born again. Again, I've referenced this verse several times, and John, or Nicodemus says, how can I go back into my mother's womb? And Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. You have to be born of the water and of the spirit. So in John chapter three, born of the water, Jesus is talking about obviously physical birth. And the reason why that is a reference to physical birth is because we know, ladies, if you've given birth, when the water breaks, it's go time, right? Which is why I was so happy in our life when Lindsay gave birth to Jackson that we had it scheduled. We had it scheduled because he was a big kid. He was two weeks early and was already 7.3 pounds. And so our doctor scheduled it early, wanted to schedule it on our anniversary, January 5th. You might want to write that down. It's an important day. And um, we said, no, that's our anniversary. I ain't sharing that one with him. And so it's, he's uh, born on January 6th, which is funny. We tell people we were married on the 5th and our son was born on the 6th. They just like, what? Two years apart, right? And so the idea is that, you know, yeah, same name, you know, close. But he was born and we had it scheduled. And I loved that because it created a lot less stress, right? We woke up knowing that morning we were going to the hospital, no freaking out. Um, it was awesome. And as we got there early to the hospital that morning, uh, there was a couple that were, I mean, like they didn't have it scheduled. I mean, they were like tires squealing into the parking lot. He's getting her out, rushing her in. And I'm, you know, just eating my muffin. I'm like, glad I'm not them, you know? And, uh, and it was great. Even though, uh, later we, you know, she gave birth like within a few hours and then Lindsay didn't give birth till later that night, which again was fine for me. Cause I just ate my muffins all day long. And she still holds that against me cause she couldn't eat. I probably shouldn't have ate in front of her, but that's a whole nother thing. But, um, but this reference of being born of the water, obviously we know that. That could be what John is referring to. Another thing, uh, or another thought that people debate about, maybe this water doesn't refer to Jesus being born. Maybe it refers to Jesus being baptized. Because we know that Jesus grew up, but he didn't start his ministry until he was 30. And he got baptized by John the Baptist, and that's not where Baptist came from, by the way. We didn't come from John the Baptist. We came later in the Protestant Reformation, but off the idea that we're baptized after we trust Christ. And so John baptized Jesus, and at Jesus's baptism, we know that God the Father spoke out, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, and the Holy Spirit descended onto Jesus at that point. So some people look at this reference of water as that's when Jesus began his ministry. So here's the two kind of main options when Jesus was born or when Jesus was baptized, when he was born or when he was baptized. Honestly, I think either one of those interpretations are fine. And the reason being is because the Holy Spirit was at both of them. He says the water, the blood and the spirit. And so the spirit was testifying at both of those events. 
How do we know that? We know the story. When the angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to give birth to the son. She says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Just like the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep in creation to bring forth life, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the deep of Mary's womb to bring forth life. So the Holy Spirit testified in both of those events, just like he testified at baptism. Again, I just referenced this. When Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended onto Jesus, and that's how Jesus did his ministry. And a lot of us fail to realize that Jesus did his ministry by the power of the Spirit. And what that means is you and I do it the same way. Jesus did everything he did by the power of the Spirit. And that happens when we trust Jesus. We obviously receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates us and we're born again. But the point or the emphasis that John puts here is not as much on the water as it is the blood. Because John says it like this, he came not by water only, but by the blood. So he's emphasizing more of the blood than he is Jesus's birth or baptism, but all are in agreement, he says. How do we know this? Or what does this matter? Remember, he's talking about the witness of God here, the testimony of God. And he says the testimony of God, we said it, is greater when somebody testifies to something, again, we know this in a court of law, we get our court of law primarily from the Bible, from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Deuteronomy 17, six says on the witnesses or the account of two or three witnesses, that's how somebody is judged. So that's why we bring witnesses in our courtrooms today, all because of that's what the Bible says. But you judge the credibility of the account that someone says by the credibility of the person, correct? I mean, if Jojo comes off the street and gives you an account of something and you know, like you grew up with him. I don't know why I said Jojo. It's just like what came to my mind. Um, you know him. And you're like, listen, sucker, I, I know you. And so I'm gonna judge your account or your witness by who you are. And so to some degree, the credibility of the person you know, kind of undergirds the credibility of their witness. This is why when someone witnesses something, the opposing team always attacks the credibility of the person. Because if you can discredit them, then you can discredit what they saw. And so John is arguing in such a way to say, listen, if we accept the two or three witnesses of men, would we not also accept the two or three witnesses of God? Why? Because the integrity of who he is. Think about it. The integrity of who God is is what undergirds the witness concerning his son. The witness concerning his son. And what is that witness? He was born by water, which means he was human. Again, some people deny Jesus's humanity. He was 100% human. He was in Mary's womb for nine months. And at conception, he was who he was. Not at birth, but at conception. This is why we hold to that belief system. Because Jesus was the son of God, even in the womb. So at his birth, also at his baptism. And what does the baptism signify? The baptism signifies his divinity. The father says, 
This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends upon him. So you see Jesus's humanity. You see Jesus's divinity. Again, I think the water could be a reference to both of those. But the point is this, the God man died on a cross and shed his blood. And the blood is the testimony that the water was leading to that. And so you could talk about Jesus's birth, his beginning of life to his end, or you could talk about the beginning of his ministry to the end. And the Bible is saying all those testify together and they agree. And the Holy Spirit was there in all of those saying, this is the son. That's the testimony of God concerning his son. Now, John continues, look at this, verse 10. He says, whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Now let's stop and talk here for a second. Here's what John just said. If you don't believe the testimony of God concerning Jesus, He was born by the water. He was baptized in the water. He shed his blood on the cross. And those three with the Holy Spirit agree. If you don't believe that, you're calling God a liar. You're not calling me a liar. You can call me a liar and get away with it. Right? You call God a liar? This is why when people say, well, yeah, I believe in God. I just don't believe in Jesus. Well, then... You don't believe the testimony of God and you don't believe in the real God. You believe a God of your own imagination. Well, I'm of this faith or I'm of this religion. Well, how do you know those are true? What are the witnesses? What are the evidence that you can bear to show that those are true? Well, this person heard from God. All right. Well, this person heard from God. Was that it? Was it just their testimony? Was it that man's testimony about who God was and what God told him? Or was this whole orchestrated thing testifying to him through the water, through the blood, through the spirit? And so what we're saying is this, there is no testimony or witness greater than Jesus. Why? Because he came back to life again. He came back to life again. Any other religious teacher that has ever lived, their bones are still in the ground. And more often than not, we have built a shrine around them and we worship there. But you want to know why Christianity doesn't have temples? Because Jesus ain't in the ground. And you know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians? We are the temples. He said, I thought you just said Christianity didn't have temples. I'm talking about physical locations. He didn't have places, he has people. And we now, by the Holy Spirit, believe in the witness that God is born concerning his son, that Jesus came by the water and he came by the blood. That's God's testimony. And if you don't believe that, you're not calling Jason a liar, you're calling God a liar. Now, how's that for political correctness? Right? But here's what we miss. And I'm so glad John didn't stop there. Because if we stop there, then as Christians, it kind of puffs out our chest a little bit. And like, we got the truth, you don't. And it kind of makes us have a posture towards other people that is not one of grace. But look at how John says this next in verse 11 and 12. 
He says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. I love that phrase. Whoever has the son has what? Life. Let's try that again. Whoever has the son has what? Life. life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Listen to what John's arguing here. The whole testimony of God, that's the title of my message today, the whole testimony of God that bears witness about who Jesus is was all done for one reason, to give you life. To give you life. This is why as Christians, we shouldn't come off towards people as one of arrogance. Again, I told you last week, if you're arrogant and Christian, you may not be Christian. Because the testimony is, you needed somebody to die for you. But here's the other part of the testimony. Someone loved you enough to die for you. So that you could have life. You could have zoe. But the failure that a lot of Christians make is we think that life starts when we die. Because we talk about eternal life, and so we talk about it's life after death. But I want you to understand something. That eternity started the moment you trusted Jesus. So not only do you have life in his name after you die, you have life in his name before you die. You've been made alive. That's what Paul says. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but, Christ, but God made us alive. So you're alive, and you want to know why I think a lot of the world doesn't believe our testimony and witness about Jesus? Because a lot of us don't display that we have any life. We don't display any joy, any peace, any love, all fruits of the Spirit. Why would I want your Jesus? Your life looks worse than mine. I'm not talking about just circumstantially. I'm talking about your attitude, your outtake, what you look at, how you look at it. This is why I think a lot of times, and I said this not too long ago, we do evangelism wrong. We teach everybody what they need to know in order to have a conversation. And so a lot of times we're like, I don't know what to say. But again, think about the things that you love. If there's a certain restaurant that you love, because you have enjoyed it. You've enjoyed it. Do you feel like you have what it takes to share with somebody about that? Like when someone says, hey, share about this restaurant. You're like, well, you know, I don't know all the details. I don't know who owns it. I don't know where they went to school. I mean, what if someone else doesn't like it, you know? No, if you enjoy it, you're gonna share it. So here's what I'm saying. God gave us Life in Christ, why? So that we could enjoy Jesus. So we could enjoy Jesus. We could have life in his name. And whoever has the son has life and has life eternally. This is why I say that's just an upgrade. It only gets better from here on out. But it started now. It started in Christ. It started when the Holy Spirit made us alive. And if, my friends, if that were our witness People will be flocking to the sun. But we've made our witness a political platform or morality and told people what they can do and can't do. And we've literally de-Jesused our message. And what John is saying, I think, is you need to re-Jesus it. 
You need to put Jesus back at the center of it. That's why we say here, love Jesus. Because if you love Jesus, you're going to grow people. If you love Jesus, if you're in love with Jesus, and I get it, some of us dudes here, that's weird for us to talk about a man like that. What do you mean love Jesus? Let me, let me ask it like this. Some of you, a lot of you have served in the military or served on teams. And when a teammate or a brother gives their life for you, your heart towards that person's different. That's what I'm saying. Jesus gave his life for you, and so your heart towards him should be different. It's one of not only affection, but admiration. One that honors the sacrifice by enjoying the freedom that it bought. So John is saying, God did all this, the water, the blood, the spirit for you to enjoy God. Again, this is why it bothers me when people just say God's a God of rules. I say that often. I go back to the Old Testament. You won't, you'll see, no, that's not what it was all about. It was all about relationship. And so church, here's what I'm saying, man. If we would just enjoy the life that God gave us in Christ, we accepted the witness of his testimony, then our witness and our testimony would flow out so much more naturally. But you want to know one of the reasons why I think we don't? It's interesting where John goes next. One of the reasons why I think we don't is because we are confused on what we mean by life. Look at where John goes next in verse 13 and 14. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, capital S, that you may know John says that a lot, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This is the confidence that we have. We ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Why? Because if he gave you his son, if he gave you Jesus, if he gave you life, so that now you could have a relationship with him. That word toward is a preposition of relation. What that means now is through the son, you can face God. You can be in the presence of God. And we have that now, not fully, but we have the Holy Spirit. That's when we're in worship services, we feel the presence of God. That's because of Jesus Christ. Because without Jesus Christ, trust me, you wouldn't want to be in the presence of God. But because of Jesus Christ, now you're in the presence of God, not as a slave, but as a son, not as one who deserves punishment, but one who's given life. And so now you have this fellowship with him. You have life with him. And then he says, we have confidence and knowing that toward him, facing him, we ask and he hears us. Now, here's what I was meaning earlier when I was talking about the definition of life. I think a lot of times the reason why we don't share or witness to the life we have in Jesus is because we haven't gotten everything we've asked for. We haven't gotten everything we've asked for. And we think that if God loved us, he would give us everything we asked for. And I, and I want to be sensitive here, and I, and I hope this comes across pastorally, 
And a lot of things that we ask for are good. God, would you give me a job? God, would you give me a spouse? God, would you give me a child? God, would you heal me of this sickness? God, would you take care of us? God, would you help my spouse not to die? God, would you help my child not to die? A lot of times there are things that we ask God, and I just want to say, I understand. When we ask God for good things, and we don't get them. But we also ask God for a lot of selfish things. We ask God just to make us wealthy, make us healthy. Sometimes that could be selfish, depending upon what the reason is for your health. And so we ask and ask and ask. And here's the thing. The Bible tells us to ask and ask and ask. Why? Because you've got a good, good father. But here John says we can have confidence in knowing that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But there's one little phrase in there. According to his will. Ask God, but it may not be according to his will. And this is what makes the relationship, I think, on our end where we misunderstand life. Again, those of you who have kids, think about it like this. I use my kids often in sermons. I got two kids and they love to ask. They love to ask for stuff. But you know what? On one level, I'm their dad. And so they should ask. If they don't feel confident to come to me, bold, this is what he says. We have the confidence. That word confidence means boldness. It's very similar to how Hebrews talks when he says, approach the throne of grace boldly. He's not talking about boldness and confidence in how we approach them. He's talking about confidence and boldness in how we approach him. Approach him boldly. Come to him with your request, making your request known to God. Why? Because he cares for you. But here's the deal. Am I a good father if I give my kids everything they ask for? Let me ask that again. Am I a good father if I give my kids everything that they ask for? No. You don't have to turn there. And I thought about this verse this morning, so I printed it out separately. You might want to write it down as a reference. Romans 8. I just want to read you a section of the scripture and how it applies to this verse, and then we'll apply it. Verse 23 of Romans 8 says this. This is Paul talking. He says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we await, as we eagerly, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's what we're waiting for. For in this hope, we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So he's talking about there's things we're hoping for that we don't have. Verse 26 Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now listen to this. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. Now listen to this. According to the will of God. What is Paul saying there? When you pray and when you ask God, 
even for a good thing. God, take this circumstance away from me. Take this pain away from me. The Holy Spirit intercedes that and he interprets it or translates it to God the Father to be according to his will. So you may have prayed, God, take this from me. And the Holy Spirit said, God, keep this in their life as long as you think is necessary. And you're like, that's not what I prayed for. That's not what I asked. But here's the deal. God knows. And so he hears, he knows the the mind of the spirit and the spirit intercedes from what we're asking. And so the Holy Spirit says it in such a way that if we knew what God knew, that's what we would ask for. You with me when I say that? So when my kids ask for a fun dip, I say, well, if you knew what was best for you, you'd get a salad. So you ask for a fun dip, I'm going to give you a salad because that's what you would ask for if you knew my will. (laughs) You, You hear me when I say that? I know what's best for my kids and it is not processed sugar. But they can ask for processed sugar. And I'm going to bundle it up in protein. Why? Because that's what they would have asked if they knew everything I know. Now, again, think about that in your own life. You have asked God for good things. God, would you do this? Where are you? Why'd you let them die? Why'd you let her go? Why'd you let me lose that? Why did I get sick with this? And we ask God for requests. And what the Bible says is make your requests known to him. But here's the hope that you have, that the Holy Spirit intercedes them before they get to him and interprets it in such a way that it's according to his will, even though the way you asked may not have been according to his will. And you can have the confidence in knowing that when the Holy Spirit interprets it, you're going to get what he asked, what you asked for. That's what verse 15 says. Look, And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we have asked of him. And again, this is where we struggle. If God loved me, we say he wouldn't have let this happen. He would have healed this person. But here's what I want you to hear me say. Every person that Jesus physically healed when he was walking on this earth still died. Even Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead, he died again. I mean, that stunk. (laughs) And don't you know that people were like, where's Jesus? Do it again. Well, it wasn't according to his will. And this is where I get it. People wrestle. But listen to John's argument here. He's saying, if you have the testimony of God concerning his son, And what is the testimony through the water, through the blood, through the spirit, that even though his life began and ended in one of pain and agony, he rose again, never to die. And now he sits at the right hand of the father. And the testimony of the Christian faith is if that happened to him and you're in him, it'll happen to you. So this disease, this death is not the end. That's our hope. And this is why when people in bad situations want to cry out and say, there's no way I can believe God. I lovingly want to say back to you, tell me this, without God, how does it make that situation any better? This is a message that 
Unfortunately and fortunately, I get to share a lot of times at funerals, especially in circumstances that end in tragedy, when someone dies too young. One of the worst circumstances, and I've said this before, but I think it bears to be repeated in this circumstance that I've ever had to stand in was when I did a funeral for a 14-month-old baby who had drowned in the backyard. And for two weeks, he was on life support while they were hoping he would make a recovery, and he didn't, and then they decided to donate his organs for others. And yeah, they took comfort in knowing that his eyes went to a kid and different parts went to other people so that they could see and have life. But when you stand up in a funeral like that, what do you tell people? That God is good and he's loving. The first thing I did was cried my eyes out. Because what if that was my baby? But here's the message. Not believing in God, how does that help you? Because if there is no God, if he's not good, then this is utterly random and it means nothing. If there is no afterlife, if God is not, Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. It doesn't say they are good, they work for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, if there's no God, and those circumstances, then there's no hope. And the testimony that God has borne concerning his son is this, death doesn't win. Even though he shed his blood on the cross for our sins, he was raised again, and the redemption of our bodies, the rising again, is where our hope is. Because here's what Satan is trying to do to every single one of us. It's exactly what he did to Job. If you go back and read the book of Job, Job had everything. He had a wife, he had kids, he had money, he had influence. And Satan came to Job and said, God, or Satan came to God and said, God, he only worships you because you give him all that stuff. You take all that stuff away and he'll curse you. And God says, okay, take it away. Again, think about life. A lot of times we don't have life because we think life is in all those things. And the testimony of Satan is God, you take all that away from them and they will curse you. And sadly, some people do when God takes all that away. I mean, Job lost his kids. Job lost his Inheritance. I mean, he lost it all. And he was sitting in a cave, scraping his skin with broken pieces of pottery. And then he has three lousy friends that come and say, Job, what'd you do? What'd you do wrong to deserve all this? And Job's like, I ain't done nothing. And the Bible says, I mean, that's my translation of the whole book. And the Bible says that in, <laughs> in all this, Job did not sin. Why did God allow Job to go through that? To contradict the witness of the devil. Because the witness of the devil was he only loves you because you give him all this stuff. You take all that away, he don't love you. And even Job's wife said, why do you hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. And Job amazingly says in Job 2, you're talking like a foolish woman. Should I accept only the good things from God and not the bad? And at the end of the book, Job says, I thought I, I thought I knew you. I'd heard of you, but I didn't know you, but now I do. Yeah. 
And God never answers Job why he did it, ever. Let me ask you a question, friends. If God never did another good thing for you, is what he's done in Christ enough? If it's not, you don't have life. If you're walking with God so that he'll prosper your business, if you're walking with God because he'll prosper your health, that's what we call the prosperity gospel. And word newsflash, if you add anything to the word gospel, it makes it a fake gospel. Because before God wants to prosper you out here, he wants to prosper you in here. And sometimes to prosper you in here, he has to take away all that's out here. Because in those moments, we want to curse God. But here's the message. Even in those moments, you can have life. Because what is the testimony or your witness? What is it if it has no weight to it? If you say, yeah, I love God and he's blessing you, everybody's like, well, of course you love God because he's blessing you. But if you say, I love God through tears in your eyes after you just lost someone that you love, what kind of witness is that? John says we have what we ask for if we ask according to his will. And what is his will? To make us more like Christ. And don't ever forget, Christ's birth started in water and it ended in blood. And that's who you follow. And if you follow him, you can have the hope of knowing that you have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Not only for who you are, God, but for what you've done. For the testimony that you have borne concerning your son. That you love the world so much that you gave. And that word gave means to have as a privilege. You gave so we could have eternal life. And this life is life in Jesus. Enjoying Jesus. But God, we know that circumstantially it's so tough sometimes to enjoy Jesus because if we're honest, a lot of of times we just enjoy what Jesus can give us and not Jesus himself. God, but help us to believe the truth of the great theologian John Newton said that everything is necessary that God sends our way and nothing can be necessary that he withholds. And so even the things that are coming in our life that we don't like, that are painful, help us to know that they were necessary. And anything that you didn't bring, help us trust that you know better that they weren't necessary. Because sometimes we win and sometimes we lose. Sometimes we have and sometimes we have not. But help us to remember, God, that in all circumstances, we can praise the Lord. Because no one can take away the Son from us. 
because we are now children. And we can have everything that you have for us in him. So God, I pray right now if there's anybody listening or watching that has never trusted Jesus, they don't have the son, and so therefore they don't have life, God, I pray you would open their eyes and save them. No one looking around or talking here as we close as always. I want to just very simply ask you a question. Do you have the son? If you don't have the son, you don't have life. The greatest question you can ever answer is who is Jesus to you? This is what Jesus said to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? But today, God opens your eyes and you confess with your mouth that you believe and you'll have life. And you'll have it eternally. So if you want to trust Jesus right there where you are, I'm going to ask you to pray silently. Repeat after me. Again, not out loud. If you want to trust Christ, it goes like this. Say, God, thank you for loving me that you sent your son in my place for my sin. Save me. Forgive me. I believe in Jesus. And I believe I have a life in his name. Again, nobody looking around or talking. If you just prayed that with me very simply, would you just lift your hand up so we can see that? Thank you. Thank you. We got men and women walking around going to put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can simply put your hand down. But then lastly, for those of us who have trusted Jesus and you're just struggling, you're struggling with what God has brought or you're struggling with what God hasn't brought. Today, I want to encourage you. God hasn't forgotten you. And God is working his will out in your life. But it almost always is never going to look like you thought it would. And it may involve disease and debt and death. But know that even in those, you're more than a conqueror. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. If Jesus overcame death, if God gave you Jesus, why would he not give you every other good thing? And so if there are some good things that he's withholding, know that that's not necessary right now. Father, I pray that you would help us to have this kind of faith. Thank you for John writing these things that we might believe. For those who us have the son, we have life. But God, thank you for reminding us that our life is not in the things that you give us. Our life is in the person of Jesus. And we so need to be reminded of that. I know I need to be reminded of that. We trust you to prune us where we need to be pruned. And though it's painful, we know you're good. We thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen.